Looks like we have people still arriving. <clears throat> I'm looking at both of my pages so I can see everyone. Wonderful. It's wonderful to, to be back with you. Let's uh, enjoy a few moments of silence and stillness as we deepen our, our presence with each other.
as we sit together, I know that many of you are familiar with the ways in which we offer loving kindness in a sequence for ourselves, for each other, for our sanghas and community and families, uh, for the whole world. And as we do, we know that it's grounded in our, our body. Our body, hopefully, as we sit, can be somewhat relaxed. And at least we hold the kind and generous aspiration for <clears throat> that our bodies are at ease, even if they're not fully relaxed. But there's some ease. And that our <clears throat> hearts might be open to whatever extent that's possible, given what you're carrying, both to offer kindness and to receive it from all those people with whom you're sitting. <clears throat> that your mind might be boundless, that you may touch on the boundlessness of an awake mind, even if it feels a bit like a cage or a bit crowded sometimes. Boundlessness is the nature of your mind. And sometimes the kindness of aspiring for others to feel and experience and enter that boundlessness is an expression of our own Buddha mind, even when we don't feel it. And as we offer an aspiration that our bodies are at ease together as best we can, our hearts are open as best we can. Our minds touch on the boundlessness of awakening as best we can. That we also aspire to awakening to live our way into an embodied fullness of awakening, which is our true nature. It's actually the natural state. Your natural state is awakening. Expressed as a body at ease, a heart that's open, a mind that's boundless. And even if we feel none of those, through loving kindness, we can offer it to each other. And that practice touches them all. I'm going to screen share something for you now for our um, our, our chant. <clears throat> and a little bit of education, an echo, E-K-O, um, from a Japanese liturgy. It's a, usually a dedication. Often, more often is chanted at the end of a service, dedicating the merit uh, or energy of the practice to all beings or a specific person. Um, but I'm going to 
as an aspiration for our practice, I'm going to ask that we do this one in the beginning. And you can see below, it's a variation on a classical echo. It's a little, little different, but not much. And so rather than the robe uh, verse today, let's say this one together, okay? May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. May the merit and virtue of this group, along with our everyday practices, extend to all beings everywhere. May all be relieved of suffering, free from fear, longing, aversion, and ignorance. And may the way of awakening go on endlessly. So in some ways, this is a more formal uh, dedication of what I was suggesting uh, during, our, during our sitting. And those awakened beings who are extending their compassion through the mirror, in this case of Zoom, is you, each other. <clears throat> it's very interesting to be away from something that I'm so accustomed to doing uh, because it's part of my natural rhythm of uh, inquiry, of seeing students online, preparing for upcoming retreats, uh, all the myriad preparations for Jukai ceremonies coming up. And I, I would imagine all of you know the feeling of being pulled in many different directions with many responsibilities. Um, my uh, lovely sister uh, gave me a call earlier in, in January, um, earlier in the year at least, and, and um, asked for help. Um, for her and for mom and for our family, the support in caring and offering space. And, and then, of course, there was the, some of you know, there's um, what's called a work camp here at Huyahalana on this island. It's a once a year special time for caring for the living sanctuary and, and also being with old friends there. So all of these things came together at one time. And my question, like your question, I'm sure in your life is, what's my best effort? What, what should I do? How, how should I bring my limited self forward? And as I was considering all these things, um, very human, ordinary things, I was reviewing some talks, older talks by Blanche I hadn't looked at in a long time. And one of them, uh, she began by saying, just like I'm right now beginning this little reflection today, she came on saying, uh, I, I wasn't sure I could be with you today. I was scheduled to give the talk here at San Francisco Zen Center, but I'm also later in the day on my way to my granddaughter's wedding on the East Coast. And so I wasn't sure if I could, you know, being pulled in these different directions. So she was about to leave, but she said, I, I, I felt like I should give the talk because I can. And it was an interesting beginning to that, that reflection. So many pulls. And our practice, you know, our practice grows from these ancient roots, which you could, you could hear in that echo. But they, it's got to bear fruit in modern soil or it's not appropriate, you know. We get these calls from our family and friends. We're called by the Dharma and the responsibilities in the Sangha. We're called to manage our own health and some sort of teetery balance in life. But we're also called to play and to fun, to enjoyment, all these things. So as I, I was really taken by this entry to Blanche's talk because it was echoing something in me. And so I went through and I sort of excerpted these teachings that she 
she included in her talk, and I want to reflect on them today, and hopefully they'll be applicable for you. And the first one, she, uh, she repeated a small story uh, that was between uh, Shunryu Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi, and his wife, Mitsui Suzuki, who Blanche knew quite well. They studied tea ceremony together. And the apartment that Blanche lived in, she and, and Lou, her husband, the whole time I knew Blanche, was Mitsui's and Shunryu's apartment in San Francisco's Instagram, the apartment they lived in. So Mrs. Suzuki said one time to her husband, why do you go, all, go to all that trouble to give these Dharma talks and nobody ever comes? She was always poking at him. And he said, it doesn't matter if one person or 10 people come, it's the Dharma and I have to do my best. Uh, early, you know, 25 more years ago, 30 years ago, I had my little sitting group that began in my office I, just because one person asked if they could sit with me and it began to grow. The same thing was happening for Peg um, at the Unitarian Church. Um, I cleared out a little spot in my group room before I started seeing clients and maybe one person would show up too, maybe no one would show up. And when no one came, I still performed the same tasks, went through the same forms um, because of my own devotion. Uh, Peg tells stories of setting up an altar on a folding chair <laughs> because it's what she had in a children's Sunday school room. Our best talk is really our action, uh, which may reflect self-care um, by care of others. So when Mrs. Suzuki said, why, why do you go to all this trouble? And Mrs. Suzuki Roshi said, well, because it's, it's what I do, you know, even if nobody shows up. The second teaching that was in this talk that Blanche gave was the one that I put in the email that some of you saw where Suzuki Roshi said, Zen is making your best effort on each moment forever. Now, if you hear that from a parental mind, you might, it might sound scolding. Do your best. But my job is to make my best effort on each moment forever, because this is the embodied enactment of vow. And sometimes, I would say often, I come up pretty short, you know. <clears throat> but even so, I just have to continue and not attach too much to the result, and especially making comparisons. You know, comparing mind is very painful and very difficult. In fact, I would say from a pure practice point of view, comparing mine is irrelevant to the enactment of a vow. I can only inhabit and embody and express my vow the way I can do it. And if I compare it to you <clears throat> or to some other teacher, then I'm actually not enacting vow. I'm enacting comparing mind. And part of taking a vow and enacting it is, especially a vow of awakening, means that you often turn towards your comparing mind and assist it to be more free. Not listening to your comparing mind as if it's the Dharma, but knowing, oh, there's a reaction. There's the, in our chant, uh, may all beings be uh, liberated from suffering, free from longing, aversion, you know, that you turn towards these things. And it's very, uh, uh, maybe easy, but uh, we don't build up an elevated image of ourselves in this practice. And not only do we not build up some elevated image of like, oh, I'm really doing good, but we also don't detract 
from your actually being Buddha right now. Both things are delusional that you would say, oh, I'm more than I am, instead of I'm just this. And are you the expression of Buddha? Yes, your expression of awakening that looks like this. We're not constructing some great or specialized and certainly a spiritualized self. Uh, this is actually a de detraction from your true nature, which is beyond anything you can conceive of or cling to. And you know we're not always 100%, right? At least I'm not. Maybe, maybe you might be. I mentioned one time in, in Dokusan, I went to see Blanche, and I, I talked about what I perceived to me to be her kind of fearless nature. And she rose up and kind of was harsh with me. She said, never, never think of me as fearless. You can think of some other person if you want that way, but I'm just myself. You know, maybe, maybe you're operating on only like 50%. Or maybe you can only bring like 20% to me if you come to me as in, in a practice discussion in this situation. But if that's so, then bring 100% of your 20%. Be completely that 50% that you got. That, that's what I mean. Otherwise, you end up being critical. Because this is not a practice of forcing yourself or taking on more burdens of guilt. God knows we got enough of those. But our practice does include learning about our edges and where we stop ourselves and what holds us back from being ourselves, but not some fantasied version that we're always comparing ourselves to and to which we always fall short. I was, uh, my, my, my therapist and mentor for a long time, John Gladfelter, you've heard me speak of him. We, we were talking about friendship one time. And I said, what, what do you consider a good friend? He said, I think a good friend is someone who asks more of you than you ask of yourself. And again, we spoke about, it's not in some masochistic or harsh way, someone that's demanding, but a source of encouragement and real care in this world of struggle and challenge. You know, if you're doing, for example, if you're doing some exercise, you know you'll do more if somebody's with you. Because they'll encourage maybe, you know? Not because they, they want you to do something that's, that's harsh. And this is where courage flourishes. And limitations are accepted. And this is the human Dharma gate of vulnerability, of generosity and mutual care. And my list of teachings from Blanche's talk, here's number three. She was talking about her teacher, Sojin Roshi, Mel Weissman. And she, he was attempting to support her in how to give Dharma talks. And he said, just talk about what's in front of you. That was his teaching, talk about what's in front of you. As, as I'm attempting to do <laughs> some of what um, I'm reflecting on some of Blanche's teachings, but I'm talking about this question that I had about how do I, where do I invest my time? How, how, what, where's my best effort? And I wish many of you could have known uh, Sojin because uh, he was an amazing guy. He was so ordinary and grounded. He was like your, uh, your Jewish uncle, you know, that would come, uh, which he was, he was very ordinary in a way that was actually alarming because there was no artifice and it was very present. And there was nothing to attach to or fight against. And he, you could tell that he saw to the center of things without anything being fancy or you know, spiritual in a way, nothing extra. Each moment life as it is. And this is the source of our teachings. And it's rising up as your, as your life. What's right in front of you, embodied and verified through our shared experience, not some intellectual thing. Although, you know, I talk about things that are conceptual, but hopefully it's a way to bring you back. And in this case, this is making our best effort on each moment. I know some of you have begun the precepts class with 
with Joel and, and some of you have studied the precepts quite a bit. Teaching number four in this, this talk by Blanche, she re, uh, reported another interaction with um, Suzuki Roshi, one of the, the students when they were studying the, uh, in general, asked Suzuki, he said, do you watch your students and see how well they're following the precepts? And some of you kind of asked this of me in a certain way, like, are you watching us? Are you like evaluating us or that grading you? A terrible idea. Do you watch your students and see how well they're following the precepts? And Suzuki Roshi said, no, I just watch how they treat each other, how they are with each other. Because this is where our practice is manifest. The Buddha said, as long as the Sangha comes together in harmony, meets together in harmony, and departs in harmony, the Dharma can be expected to prosper and not decline. As long as the Sangha comes together in harmony, meets together in harmony, and departs in harmony, the Dharma can be expected to prosper and decline and not decline. So it's important to notice how we are with each other. I think our inquiry times are a beautiful expression of that. Are we making our best effort in each moment? Not, not following rules, but just being awake and aware to what's beneficial to ourselves and to our friends and what's beneficial in the world. And also what may be harmful or kind of off base that's not, it's not working so well in the world. That's why I began with this aspiration that we could be at ease in our bodies and our hearts might be open. We might touch on the balances of our minds and, and awaken. So these were some of the essential teachings that Blanche was echoing as she was thinking about this thing about how do I make my best effort on every, every moment, whether people come or not? My best effort forever, in other words, as a continuous practice, it's just speaking about and meeting and practicing what's in front of me. And not worrying about rules and regulations and measuring up, but just paying attention to how we treat each other. You know, the, the, the ground underneath all of this, in our tradition at least, comes out of the lifelong question that Dogen had, which was, if we already are the nature of a Buddha, if that's our true nature as a wakefulness, then why do we practice? If that's already, the, why do we practice? And I'll always remember Blanche responding to this question one time, Dogen's question was, if we're, we're already of the nature of a Buddha, why do we practice? And she said, because we are of the nature of a Buddha, that is why we practice. We practice because that is our nature. We're not practicing to create Buddha nature. It's not something we can create, nor can we destroy it. We practice because our fundamental nature is that of awakening, of kind-heartedness, of boundless mind of a body that's at ease in the world. And if we want to live and embody and express this way of being, then we engage in practice, which is making our best effort in each moment. There's a, another talk I would refer you to if you're interested in the compilation of Suzuki Roshi's talks, um, not Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, but the one entitled Not Always So. There's many wonderful talks in there. And the one that uh, Blanche was referring to actually in, in her talk was one called uh, Stepping Off the Top of the 100-Foot Pole. And it refers to an old uh, koan, um, which uh, there are various ways you can think about it, but 100-foot pole is high. Like, suppose you do feel like you attained something. Suppose you learned some things. Suppose you feel like you've gotten somewhere. And what's the next step? How do you step off of that? How do you step beyond that? Suzuki Roshi says in this talk, he says, forget this moment. 
and grow into the next. So the point on each moment is to forget the point and extend your practice. In other words, just keep practicing, not thinking about yourself so much. And, and he said, so on each moment, just concentrate and really be yourself. At this moment, where is Buddha nature? And listen to this point. He says, because Buddha nature is when you say yes. That yes is Buddha nature itself. The Buddha nature which you think you already have within yourself is not Buddha nature. What you think when you become yourself, or let's say when you forget all about yourself and say yes, that's Buddha nature. So I think making our best effort in each moment comes down to responding to whatever is presenting itself, what's calling you, what's here for you to take care of in each moment, that's where you place your attention without getting too caught or too divided between responding to what's in front of you and checking yourself out to see how you're doing. Don't we get caught there all the time? You know, how am I doing? Uh, in that talk, Suzuki Roshi also said, the Buddha nature is not something that will appear in the future, but something that is already here. If you have only an idea about Buddha nature, it doesn't mean anything. And then he referred to an old koan because he said, it's a painted rice cake. It's a picture of something, not an actual one. You can't eat a picture of a rice cake. If you want to see an actual rice cake, you should see it when it's here. So the purpose of our practice is just to be yourself. When you become just yourself, you have real enlightenment. Another place, he said, when you are you, Buddha is Buddha. Now, there's a tricky thing here, because many people hear this and they think, oh, okay, I'll just be myself. Meaning, do whatever I want to do, whatever pleases me, whatever I'm thinking or feeling at the moment. But that's just practicing your karma. That's the self-centered dream. This is what we wake up to and we use as a guide. But being yourself means being, being that wakeful being, not just indulging whatever. I think last time when Suzanne talked about being a heartist, um, Dogen said, allow your heart to go out and abide among things and allow things to return and abide in your heart. Being attentive, responsive, awake, that this is our, our zazen. And this is the dance that we do. There was a time when I was in Japan with, with Blanche and we were sitting on the steps of the court. There are buildings on three sides of the courtyard at Rinsuen, at um, the main temple where Suzuki Roshi uh, had been abbot in the past. And his uh, son, Huitsu, when we were there in the late 90s, was the abbot then. And so we were sitting on the steps in the courtyards, gravel, and there was the bell tower, and the cars could come in and out down the road. And we were sitting there, for, and Huitsu came out in his robes, and he had a little valise that he was carrying with him, and he was going towards his car. It's, it's interesting in Japan to see a monk in full robes with a briefcase going towards um, uh, essentially a Lexus, you know, <laughs> at that time. And his attendant, Huitsu's attendant, rushed out to meet him, took his briefcase, his valise, uh, as he went to the car. And Blanche and her attendant, her Jisha, was sitting there next to us. And Blanche said to her Jisha, did you see that? You know, talking about the attendant. And the attendant said, yeah, but if I did that, would you let it go? And she was taken aback because I had the same experience. We'd be on the train going to Kyoto or going someplace and I would take her suitcase and she would like look at me like I can hold it. I can do this. And I would just look at her and take it from her. And we began to talk about how attention to care is one thing, but allowing the care is part of the dance. 
Suzuki Roshi said, continuous practice is necessary. So do not rest. It's an interesting one. How to continue is to have generous mind, big mind, soft mind, to be flexible, not sticking to anything. Practicing in this way, there's no need to be afraid of anything or ignore anything. This is the strictness of practice of the way. When you're not afraid of anything, we are imperturbable. To be completely concentrated on what you do, that is simplicity. And the beauty of practice is that it can be extended endlessly. You cannot say that our way is quite easy or that it's very difficult. It's actually not difficult at all. Everyone can do it. But to continue is rather difficult. Don't you think so? And then he said, thank you very much. <laughs> that was the end of his talk. This continuation. This um, continuous practice, so do not rest. I don't think he means drive yourself. It just means stay with your practice. Not just in the zendo, not just in a retreat, but in each moment. And when he says there's no need to be afraid of anything or to ignore anything, once again, I think he's saying simply meet each moment including the parts of you that are afraid and the parts of you that do want to ignore and turn away. That's imperturbability. And how do we do these practices? When Thich Nhat Hanh was um, around at San Francisco Zen Center, he talked about smiling practice. I've talked about this before. You know, you could smile a little bit. Don't be so serious. Just to try something a little different. And I, I, some people said to me, well, what if it's not authentic? What if it's not real? I don't really feel like smiling. <laughs> like when you sit in a Zendo and Zazen and express your Buddha nature, is that authentic? Do you feel like a Buddha? No, you take on the embodied practice because that's saying yes. We take on the posture and engage in expressing our Buddha nature. And you can express the kindness that's actually at your core by maybe smiling a little bit. In one final teaching that Blanche had, when we were at Sojiji, which was one of the main temples, Eheji, Sojiji, they alternate as like the, the sort of Vatican for Soto Zen. When we were in the month-long practice period there in Japan, and, and so once we finished Zazen, they just swept us in with all the other monks to do work. And they gave us light tasks, you know, sweeping usually or raking or something like that, but the other monks would come to the, the practice leader and they were speaking in Japanese and the practice leader would give them instructions. And then the monk would say, hi, you know, that's Jap that yes, in Japanese, very energetic, yes, hi. And then later, after we finished this, um, um, several of these monks said to us, invited us to go for lunch. And so they took us into town, out of the monastery, it was in Yokohama, and to this beautiful noodle shop. And so we all sat down and uh, I was sitting next to Blanche and a person on the other side of her said, God, these, these monks, they seem like such nice guys. They're such nice guys, you know? And she said, you know what? That practice of saying yes with enthusiasm is a lot of what makes these guys such nice guys. This willing to say yes to your life and to yes to whatever arises in response to your life to make your best effort on, on each moment. So I've talked quite a long time today, as, um, but I had a, a lot uh, carrying forward from my own uh, uh, struggles and invitations and joys of trying to make my best effort uh, on, on each moment, failing and stumbling along the way. And then um, that's why we do our confession chant first in a liturgy each morning. So, so what about you? What are the, the barriers or the invitations for making your best effort on each moment? Well, what does this call forward for you that our connection uh, would assist with? Hi, Chris. Hi, Flint. Hi. Well, your talk to, oh, before I go, before I say anything else, loving the beard. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I had a, uh, multiple difficulties in travel uh, because of the ice storms in central Texas. And so I didn't quite stay groomed very well. And then I 
I got home with my mom and I thought, oh, well, I'll see what it's like. And I look shockingly like my father. <laughs> okay. Your, um, your Dharma talk was smack on with what's going on with me. I've been shame-based heavily most of my life, um, which was instilled in me in childhood. Um, Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. To um, the church, huh? To the church also. Yeah, right. So, you know, it came from mainly from my parents, but teachers and other people who had authority or power over me. Um, I was told early and steadily that um, the things that I thought made me valuable and the things that I loved were secondary at best mm -hmm. to the things I was told I have to do, homework, chores at home and such. Um, and I've spent the best part of my life peeling back all those layers of shame. Um, Where do you find yourself today? Well, um, today, recently, I, I guess I finally got down far enough that what's been, what's been arising in me is realizing that so many of those early instincts and insights were right. The ones that I, I, I had to split all this off and keep it mostly to myself because I, you know, it didn't accomplish anything to show it to other people and it just made me hurt more. Um, so- We have to find clear teachings and clear teachers that will reflect us back accurately. Yes. Right. To know who we are. Not long after I started practicing at Apamata, you asked or you asked for the first time what you've asked periodically ever since. What is your inmost request? And I had I had no idea. Um, I sort of understood what you were asking, but I had no idea. And so I think now I've got a tentative answer. My inmost request is to go back to that, I don't know if primal innocence is the right way to say it, but that part of me that met the world with, met the world so eagerly with such fascination and delight. Yeah, to, to recover your yes. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Yes. Okay. And thanks for describing it in that way, because I think it'll be resonant for a lot of people. So I appreciate your sharing that. Good. Yeah, it was with me. I see Emily. Hello, Flint. Hi. It's so good to see you. So good to see you as well and everyone else. That room I'm familiar with. <laughs> um, I missed the very beginning of your your talk, but um, I always find immediately when I see you or just sign in for for sangha or start to sit that like my whole body starts to soothe and then the emotions right there, yeah. which, is, which is a good thing. Um, it means we're connected. Yeah. Life flowing. Yeah. Um, in part, I wanted to say hello, and I miss you, and I also like your beard. <laughs> I know. Well, you, you have a charming. challenge lately, don't you, with Ryan being gone? Yeah, yeah, and Ryan, yeah, he's totally clean-shaven for the Army right now. And still and don't. And he has a beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, as I think you know, and some we've tried to be open about, we've been... Um, struggling with infertility for the last couple of years and um, had a pregnancy loss about two years ago, right. um, which is hard to believe. Um, and we're in the midst of our second cycle of IVF and my innermost 
longing is to be able to have a child, um, as is Ryan's. Um, and I think I'm struggling with um, how to hold on to hope without grasping mm -hmm. and accept the reality of what may not happen yeah. without getting hopeless and resentful and um, just kind of defeated and um, well, I would say without getting stuck or clinging to any of those states, which you will probably touch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I already have. Yeah. It's like holding onto a rope. You don't want to cling so much that you get rope burn when it's pulled out of your hands because it's going to be jerk if it is. Because mm -hmm. um, you will meet those things uh, and not to be stuck there, though, and not to be caught there. Yeah. We really can't do that alone. Yeah. And that's part of what I think is prompting me right now to come forward is to feel very vulnerable, but to yeah. ask for the love and care and blessings of all of you. And um, Would you and like all of us, all that aspiration with you? Yes, I have a procedure tomorrow that I'm hopeful about. And, um, I do. and I would love to carry all of you with me and, and to be open to receiving and not doing this alone. Are you um, on speaker view or gallery? Um, I'm on speaker view. So I, well, I see you and me and then everybody's little on top. But click the gallery view. We can go back. So now you see at least one big page full of people, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. If, if you, yeah, what Cassie just did, <laughs> if you're gonna hold Emily, Yeah, and even the page that you can't see, people are doing that. <laughs> Thank you. So please take our love with you. I will. Thank you. Yeah, we'll we'll hope for the best, and we'll be with you no matter what happens. Thank you. No matter what happens, we'll be with you, and that's that's the enactment of grace, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to hear or say before you go? Just that I love you. There's no just. I love and adore you and appreciate all of you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, take our love with you. I will. Bye-bye. We have Cam next. Hi. Hi there. <laughs> First of all, you sounded like those Japanese monks. Hi. <laughs> I know I'm learning Japanese. So hi. <laughs> I first of all, before we start, I've got to make a confession, Flint. Uh -huh. I'm going to steal your word or borrowed um, in the email. Suzuki Roshi said this for uh -huh. my social media. <laughs> yeah, just. Let you know where that's great. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, today's talk, um, I so needed that. Broke my hand a couple of months ago. So oh. I am getting full my husband's 20 persons, hundred person. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think I'm not a person who like to receive care because I like to give. Mm -hmm. that my 20 persons 100 person to other and i'm find i was finding it very difficult so yes uh it was amazing listening to you so that story so, about uh, blanche having to receive help you really understand yes yes so thank you where are you uh, Wales. I'm sitting in the UK, Wales. I used to live right next to Cheska, but um, I oh, moved to Wales good. now. Thanks for now. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for connecting. Thank you. And may you heal well. Oh, thank you. Nearly there. Good.
Oh, oh Trudy, please. <laughs> so happy to see you. I, I inadvertently clapped you. <laughs> you didn't mean to raise your hand? Yeah, I did, but I clapped. Oh, did it. <laughs> it's okay. So lovely to see you. Good to see you. I was, um, I said it to a, a couple of people, but I think sometime last year I decided my mantra for the year was going to be, um, I'm doing my best and sometimes it's not very good. Mm -hmm. and there was, that should be the, talk, the title of the talk. Yeah, there was something about that kind of... Um, I know I do my best and sometimes it's really not very good. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there's something about really kind of leaning into that, that it, it, it's still my best and it's still... Um, I know the gaps between what I'd like to do or how I'd like to be or how I'd like to practice and and um, and there's the something that feels really important about acknowledging the gap. Yeah, um, and this is a really tricky edge, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught in, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, because our aspirations or our models are always seem just out of reach. But the alternative isn't to say, oh, well, that's not it either. No. And it felt very generous to myself. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the feeling of that. It's not very good is actually really not a comparative thing. You know, really not. Um, because, I, you know, because I'm I'm going to fail and other people are going to fail. And, and, and that's kind of like it's OK. Um, without it being a down on on yourself it's something like like a kind of real honesty with myself right and i think that's like i said why we invoke the confession of repentance not because we've done something bad but it's about profound acceptance a deep kind of acceptance of this is this is who i am this is what i can offer not that you don't have an aspiration to come forward more fully or be more kind but without the extra thing of something wrong with you because you're not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's felt very soothing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and we encourage each other to express it together makes a big difference. Yeah. So it was, it was sort of like, um, I, I was just teaching in Spain and I was talking to the group about failure and they did not like, I have to say this particular group, I have no idea why, but it was really um, provocative. Um, uh, like I was suggesting they should, you know, that failure was okay. And it really was not landing well. It's not, that's a message of being mediocre. Yeah. But you, what do you think their irritation or lack of acceptance, what part was it coming from? Uh, fear. It, it felt for me like a kind of real fear about if I'm not this, then I'm then I'm nothing. If I'm not succeeding, I am the concretized nature of failure rather than that bit there didn't go well. It makes it very absolute and dualistic. Yeah. Uh, instead of, hmm wasn't quite quite it and if I it, it I've mentioned this recently but you remember the time when we were in um the Broadhow when when Mark asked that question about what is Zazen and I said Zazen is to continually forgive yourself for being yourself yeah and so we continually not because I've been wrong but is it profound self-acceptance and that gives us the energy for aspiration to call ourselves forward um but people are terrified sometimes of it, it's weird self-acceptance is the hardest thing to do it really feels like that so i was i was glad to just say well i know it's my best and um sometimes it involves letting people down or not doing it very well or not being very attentive and i will ask a lot of myself we know that i'll, I'll stretch yeah uh, but without the damning yeah. kind of things like Chris was talking about or that some of us grow up with, you know, messages that will never be enough. Yeah. No matter what we do. And that that's not this at all. No. So 
it was it was good to to check in with that and and yeah. to and also to feel like it's still it's good and it's tender and it's vulnerable and it's kind of like and I'm really aware I don't want people kind of saying oh no you're fine it's like oh don't do that to me <laughs> that that's the other side <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yeah but but to but for someone to say gosh that that wasn't the way I really wanted it yeah for someone that cares about it, you to say I know yeah so much more relief because it doesn't say, and you should have done better, or it's okay. It's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, thank you. Let's let's continue. Yes. <laughs> what else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, make a mess, more yeah. of a mess. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to let things just settle, let them integrate a little bit. So um, click on gallery view <clears throat> to look at the faces. Maybe to even switch which page you're looking at. Um, you know, I see my mom's face there and I, we were, I took her to a number of medical appointments. Uh, we were a little dark humor. We were joking that most of the time during the pandemic, if she gets out of the house is to go to a medical appointment or a funeral, you know, it's kind of the way things are, but we, we got out for a medical appointment, but she wanted to go to a restaurant that she really likes in a nearby city where her neurologist was. And so as we got there, I said, well, you know, it looks like you're going to have to make a little effort because we can only park across the street. And with your walker, we're going to have to make it out of the parking lot, across the street, up the curb, down the block a little bit into the place where the lift is. You know, can you make that effort? And she's like, yeah, you can make that effort. And together we made the effort to get in and get back out again. And sometimes it's as simple, as simple as that to accomplish something joyful and connecting. And, and as we sat, she said, you know, have we ever had a week where it's just you and me without dad, without any other family members, without, it was just us. And we got to thinking, I, I, I don't think there has been a time that long, where it was just the two of us together. So we made our best effort, you know, to manage the week, uh, to cook the food and clean up and get up in the morning and go to bed at night and keep the medication straight and all the things that are required to watch our movies and read our books. And uh, it was really, it was really wonderful. And then to come home and begin to offer what I can here. So thank all of you for arriving today. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, screen share again the same echo. Um, may all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. May the merit and virtue of this group, along with our everyday practices, extend to all beings everywhere. May all be relieved of suffering, free from fear, longing, aversion, and ignorance. And may the way of awakening go on endlessly. May we make our best effort on every moment forever. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Flint. Thank you for all those teachings. They'll be landing 
for for a while i, I would think and thank you all so much for showing up and uh, creating this this space for us all to continue our practice and if you feel moved to offer a contribution or dana please do go to appamada.org forward slash contribute and you'll see lots of opportunities there to offer dana and and contributions for all of our Appamada's activities and events that that we offer and if you'd like to continue to meet and share then please do join 50% of me, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you 50% of my 100, no, sorry, Anna, let me get it right, Flynn, 100% of my 50% <laughs> today, if you'd like to join me for a further 30 minutes on the porch. Thank you all so much. Thank you. See some of you right now. <laughs>